0: We're gonna continue our focus tonight on the strategy of Satan, how to detect and defeat him. We've talked about Satan as the deceiver and as the deceiver his target is our mind, his weapon, our lies. His purpose is to make you and me ignorant of God's will We've talked about Jesus as the destroyer and as the destroyer, Satan's target is your body. If he, can't, if he can't deceive you in your mind, he'll attack your body, he'll attack your physical body. We talked about this last week. As the destroyer, the target, Satan's target is your body, our physical body, his weapon is suffering. His purpose is to make us impatient with God's will. And tonight, for a few moments, I'd like us to look at the scriptures and focus on Satan the ruler. Satan the ruler. We see in scripture that in several places he's the ruler of this world system. He's the ruler of this world system. Satan targets your will. As the ruler, we have a will. Your will makes choices. His weapon is pride. And this is the weapon that he uses, pride. And his purpose is to make you and me independent of God's will. Every week we look at our defense. And in week one, as we looked at Jesus, as we looked at Satan the destroyer, we looked at how our defense is the inspired, infallible word of God. Satan as the destroyer, our defense is the imparted grace of God. And tonight, our defense is the indwelling spirit of God, The Holy Spirit. I'm so grateful and thankful for the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about this over the next two Wednesday nights. In both John chapter 12 verse 31 and John chapter 14 verse 30, Jesus makes mention of the ruler of this world. The ruler of this world system. All the chaos that we see going around us in this world today, especially right here in our own nation is being influenced by the ruler of this world system, the devil. Let's take a look at Satan's target, your will. Satan's goal is always to get to the will, to your will, to my will, to control it. He wants to control your will. He wants to control my will. That place where we make Choices where we make decisions. Your will makes choices. If you're taking notes tonight, your will makes choices. It's that place, it's that part of you where you are confronted with choices. This is the place where we make choices. And that's why it's so important that we surrender our will to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ truly is not just our Savior, but he's our Lord and Savior. We like the Savior aspect of Jesus, but we don't like the Lord aspect of Jesus. We like to be in control of our lives. The ruler of this world system wants to be in control. And when we want to be in control of our lives, we are being like the ruler of this world system. And I don't think any one of us here tonight want to be like the ruler of this world system. But when we submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ, when we submit ourselves, surrender ourselves to God's will, we are being like Jesus who submitted his will to his father's will. Amen. Your will chooses to reject or accept things that are brought before it. Like temptation. Like temptations Satan tempts you with. There's at least five things Satan wants you to do. This is not an exhaustive list. But five things I want to touch on briefly here tonight. Number one, he wants you to doubt God. Have you ever been tempted to doubt God? In John chapter 20, the disciples shouted with joy that they had seen Jesus raised from the grave, but Thomas's doubt kept him from believing. Jesus appeared to Thomas, one of his disciples, after his resurrection, in fact, the evening of his resurrection, and said, in John twenty twenty seven, do not be unbelieving, but believing. Satan wants to cause you and me to doubt God. To doubt God's goodness. Have you ever been tempted to, to doubt God's goodness? Satan wants to tempt you, he wants to cause you to to doubt God's goodness, especially when something tragic happens in your life. Remember, we've been talking about in this series how the devil, how Satan is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere all at the same time. That's why he has principalities and powers. He has demonic forces that he dispatches strategically around the world, and they work relentlessly, 24-7, they never slumber, they never sleep. We have an enemy who's roaming around like a roaring lion looking for prey, looking to take advantage of someone's mind, someone's physical body, someone's will in tonight's focus. Satan wants to cause you to doubt God, especially when tragedy hits Especially when you've been praying God's word and, and, and you're believing God for, for someone to be healed of a, of a disease that's gonna take their life. And you do exactly what the scripture says there in James, and you call the elders of the church, and and you anoint them with oil, and and, and the elders lay hands on them and and they pray the prayer of faith that heals the sick. Isn't it what the word of God instructs us to do? And and we do that, and and the person dies, and and Satan he'll he'll come in there, or his demonic forces will come in there, and so seeds of doubt will tempt you to doubt God's goodness. Have you ever been tempted? About the goodness of God? To doubt the goodness of God? We have a real enemy. He caused Eve to question and doubt what God said to Adam. In a sense, to doubt the goodness of God, that God was holding out, that God was keeping something from them. Don't let your circumstances determine your God. Let your God determine your circumstances. Satan wants you to doubt God. Number two, he wants you to live in fear. Fear is not the absence of faith. It is the misplacement of faith. The devil doesn't try to rob us of our faith. He tries to get our faith to be in anything but God. He tries to get our faith to be misplaced. Away from God to something else. That something else will, will, will fail us every time. Will leave us empty. Broken. Hurting. Confused. In prison. The devil doesn't try to rob us of our faith. He tries to get our faith to be in anything but God. A major tactic of Satan that he uses against us is fear. Anyone know anything about fear? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. I'm so grateful for the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. There's no fear in the Holy Spirit of God. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. But there's power in the third person of the Godhead. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you in Acts, Luke writes, the physician, he writes in in the book of Acts, a historical book of the first century church, he writes, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive dunamis, power from on high, God's power, divine power, divine strength, supernatural strength, supernatural ability. Before that, all we had was natural strength, natural ability. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, there's a supernatural strength. There's a supernatural ability. It's called dunamis, power from heaven. It's, it's, it's the, that Greek word, dunamis, is where we get our English word, dynamite. And when I hear that word dynamite, I have this visual in my mind of, of something explosive. That when it's lit and it goes off, it affects any, all of its surroundings. And that's what the power of God does, but affects it in a very positive, beautiful, life-changing way. How many know something about that dunamis, that power in your own personal life? It's available to all who would believe. We need the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? We can only begin to fight against fear when we know where it comes from. God is not the author of fear. The Holy Spirit who lives in us, walks with us, comes upon us. He's not the author of fear. Satan is the author of fear. We are instructed in God's word in the Bible to fear the Lord in reverence and respect. We're not to fear the lies and deceptions of our enemy. And we've talked about how he is the liar. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's an accuser. We've talked about that. We've looked at those scriptures. I want to encourage you tonight. Life in Christ is life not lived in fear. It's a life of peace, of righteousness, and joy in the Holy Ghost, the scripture tells us. Isn't that glorious, church? The third thing Satan wants you to to do is feel insecure. How many can identify with these things? Doubt God, live in fear, feel insecure. Man, I'm preaching to myself. You know, Psalm 34, four says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. I just want to back up and share that verse tonight. From all my fears. The third thing Satan wants us to do is to feel insecure. The devil will tempt you to feel unloved or, or not good enough. You know, and... We have to be careful of a sense false of humility. Because that's part of Satan's strategy. Well you know I, I'm not good enough. How many you have heard that accusation? You're not good enough. You're not good enough. Oh I've, I've, I've heard that accusation. Uh, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. But in Christ, I'm good enough. It's not my good enough. It's in Christ, his good enough. It's his righteousness, not my righteousness. My righteousness is his filthy rags. But in Christ, all the old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. You are a new creation. In Christ Jesus, we're clothed in his Righteousness. And because we're clothed in his righteousness, we're good enough, but it's not my good enough that I'm good enough, it's his good enough that I'm wrapped in his righteousness that makes me good enough. And so instead of going around saying, false sense of humility, I'm not good enough, no way, stop it. Stop believing the enemy's lies. It paralyzes, it cripples, it puts us in prison. And it keeps us from from doing the will of God. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're living your life in Christ. You're good enough, not in your good enough, but in his good enough, in his righteousness. Amen, church? I hope that frees you tonight. Let's celebrate the goodness of God. Let's celebrate the goodness of Jesus Christ, the good enough of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Christ that we are wrapped in, that we are clothed in, and let's stop believing the lies of the evil one, Satan, the deceiver, the devourer. We believe these lies and they paralyze us and they make us insecure. I love what Romans 8.37 says. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In Christ, we are not only good enough, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The people of God are not a defeated people. Did you hear that, church? The people of God are not a defeated people. Not only... We're not only good enough in Christ, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The devil wants us to live in a state of defeat. Perpetual prison. Doubt, fear, insecurity. God's people are not a defeated people. We are a victorious people. We're not in a war fighting for victory. We're fighting from a place of victory. Yes, we're in a war every single day. We have a real enemy. There's a war going on. There are battles going on on a daily basis. But church, you're not fighting for victory. You're fighting from a place of victory in Jesus Christ. He already won the battle. He won it over 2,000 years ago. The devil wants you to believe that you're a defeated foe. That doubt is stronger than Jesus in your life. That your personal fear is stronger than Jesus in your life. That your insecurities, your personal insecurities are stronger than Jesus in your life. But I have news for all three of those lies. In Christ, we are not only good enough, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Can I hear a big amen? I hope and pray that encourages you tonight, builds you up in your most precious and holy faith. The fourth thing Satan wants you to do is skip church. He wants you to skip church. That's big today. You know, the Bonner Group does stats for religion, church. It's a Christian organization. One of their recent polls over the last year or two has discovered that the committed churchgoer attends a gathering like this One point two times, one point seven times a month, a month. And I'm going to preach a sermon on this some Sunday. I see a generation of, of, of kids. Who don't love the church. They don't love the church, the church that Jesus died for, the church that that Jesus birthed through his death, the church that he's coming back for, his bride. We have a generation of young people that don't love the bride of Christ, that don't love the church, that don't love the body of Christ because the body of Christ, the church, the, the, the bride of Christ is not a priority anymore. In many Christian homes. It's the truth. And, and I've been sharing this with my team for a long time. Oh, Pat's getting on his soapbox again. No, I just, in my spirit. I see the subtleties of Satan. The strategies of Satan. And it just aches aches deep within you know, the writer of Hebrews he, he says in, in Hebrews 10 24 and 25 and let us consider one another in order to stir up loving good works not forsaken the assembly of ourselves together don't forsake yourselves the assembly of yourselves together as is the manner of some this was a problem but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day, I'm doing what this verse says. I'm exhorting you. I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm exhorting you anyhow. We all need to be exhorted, amen. And so much the more as you see the day approaching and what's happening, the day of Christ's return is getting closer. It's closer today than it was yesterday. And what are we doing? We're attending worship gatherings. Bible studies, prayer meetings, last and last and last as the coming of Christ is getting closer and closer and closer. I truly believe that the biggest gathering of of saints ought to be the prayer meeting. Because the only way we're gonna see spiritual breakthrough in the hearts of of boys and girls and teenagers and, and, and adults is by humbly coming before God in holy desperation, praying and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. There's a word we used to use as I was a child, tarrying, 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 the, the King James, tarrying, waiting upon the Lord until there's a breakthrough, until there's an answer, a prayer. But in an age of fast food, everything, and now groceries are gonna be delivered to your home and a life of ease here in America. We approach God the same way, like we do Wegmans. I'm gonna call in my groceries list and they're gonna deliver them now to my home. And we approach God the same way. Like he's our grocer. I'm sharing this because I want us to pray about these things tonight. I'm sharing this with you because this is what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to skip church. He, he doesn't want you to be a, a, a part of his church, of, his, uh, of Christ's church, of, of his bride. He doesn't. Because he knows that if you are, you're going to grow in Christ. He knows that your faith is going to get strengthened. That you're going to grow in the things of God. and You're going to desire the things of this world less. And you're going to desire the things of God more. And the devil doesn't want that to happen. He doesn't. He wants your soul. He wants your soul. And the fifth. And this is not an exhaustive list, but... These were the five that I felt God dropped in my heart to share with you tonight. Is pride. He wants you to be prideful. He wants you to doubt God. He wants you to live in fear. He wants you to feel insecure. He wants you to skip church and You know, I want to just hang on the skip church for a minute more. Because the devil is such a liar. He's such a liar. Oh, nobody loves me. That's a lie. God loves you. And there's somebody that loves you besides God. Sometimes the biggest cure to this, to overcome that lie, It's just to love someone. Just love someone. Just love someone. But the devil wants you to be held a prisoner. He wants you to be held captive. Oh, there's just so much there, but pride. Let's go to pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is a weapon Satan uses with great skill. I'm not praising him, but he he has great skill. This explains why Peter, he writes in his first epistle, in his first letter, in 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Who does the promotion? Who does the exalting? Who sees you through the proper time? God. Really, the, the word there, as you study it, and it's originally God's appointed time is the best time. He's not slow, He's not fast. It's His appointed time, it's His perfect time. Everything He does is perfect. God doesn't know how to do anything not perfect. When we understand and believe this, it helps us to wait. Though we don't understand, and it's okay if we don't, but it helps us to wait because we just know in our knower that God's time is perfect, His appointed time is perfect. God has a plan, He's coming to redeem all of creation. That plan's already been set in motion. There's an appointed time for various things. No one's going to change the plan, the appointed time. No one's going to change the appointed time of Jesus' return. You know, pride is one of the, the dangers of great success. You know, you might think when you're on top of the world and everything's going good, life is just good. This happens in the ministry. Life is good, God's blessing the, the ministry. There's, there's, there's wonderful fruit, there's great success. It's probably one of the most challenging times, those times of success when everything's going good, where we're going to be attacked the most. Pride begins to set in. It's a vulnerable time. You know, I'm so grateful what happened over the weekend here. It was wonderful, right? To God be the glory. Monday and and Tuesday and today's Wednesday, just overwhelmed by his goodness, by God's grace. I'm going to be honest with you. I was spent. I was spent coming here on Sunday. Many of you know I, I left Thursday last week. We prayed Wednesday night and I went to Michigan. Wasn't planned. We have summer celebration coming up. But there was a tragic loss, a tragic death of this newborn, beautiful baby, Eleora. Seven pounds, four ounces, 19 and a half inches long, cute little thing, beautiful, precious. Life taken, heart stopped, couldn't resuscitate her, gone. Many of you know the Gundin family. It was their oldest daughter, they were devastated. Emily, the mother who gave birth, was in charge of their VBS. My daughter and I went there and as soon as we got to Michigan, she went and, and just served at their VBS to help wherever. I did something I never had to do before. In that part of Michigan, Caseville, Michigan, Mennonite country, there's Mennonite cemeteries. We had to dig our own grave. How emotional. And so Ryan, the dad of this child, is there digging the grave, and Johnny, the grandfather, is there digging the grave. I'm there helping dig the grave. A few other people were there helping dig this four foot grave. Waves of emotions. Friday was just a very emotional day, the service, and they'd asked me to speak, and, and God was gracious to speak, and to speak, and to speak through, through his servant. I'm humbled. I'm just overwhelmed by the grace of God. What do you say? God, thank you for praying, because God used the prayers last Wednesday night here, and he glorified himself on Friday. And then the graveside Now the dirt that we dug, we had to put over this little casket as it was dropped into the ground. Mama took the first shovel and put the dirt there. Emotional. That just wipes you out. Got home late Friday night. Came here on Saturday. Morning really early. Stayed here for a long time. Been studying for months for this message, but it just didn't seem to be coming together. Finally, after seven, eight hours, I just had to walk away and go home. And I said to my wife, I need to come back at three in the morning. I just need to, I just need to hear from God. It's summer celebration. You want to talk about fear? We've been praying. But I know God called us to go to Michigan. It was the right thing. It was a God thing. I got in my car and I noticed that my car said 2.05 in the morning. I thought maybe I must have pushed this button on the way home from Michigan. And changed my clock. I got here. I looked at the clocks in the church. It said 2.15. I says, oh my goodness. We set the clock somehow wrong. And I share that just to share how good God is. I felt so energized and so strong throughout all days. I was so spent. And I said, God, God, I just, this is yours. And boy, did he not show up, church. You know, when we just have nothing to give, when we're just like beyond empty, because I'm just being real with you, I was so beyond empty, so be on empty. And I was confessing God, I'm just so empty. He's so good, church. You know, those times where you don't feel like you can give. Those are the greatest times. Because, man, you're just totally out of the way. And, man, God just comes and he does his thing. And, boy, he does it well. I hope that encourages you tonight. I share all that because God is good. I want God to be glorified. Amen. He deserves to be glorified. Warren, in his book, he writes, those to whom much is given fight intensive spiritual battles against pride. Pride is the root cause for choosing offense. When we choose offense, when we choose to be offended, things happen, don't they? Things happen to our Savior. Pride is the root cause for choosing unforgiveness. For choosing to quarrel, fight, bitterness, anger, envy, resentment, fault-finding, a harsh spirit, defensiveness, The sin of pride is the sin of all sin. It was this sin, we're told, which transformed Lucifer, an anointed angel of God, into Satan, the devil, the father of lies, the one for whom hell itself was created for. Hell wasn't created for you and me. It wasn't created for a man who was made in the image and likeness of God. No. For this fallen angel, Lucifer, and a third of the angels... Who rebelled against God with with Lucifer. Hell was made for them. Isaiah 14 verses 12 through 14 says. How you are fallen from heaven. O Lucifer son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground. You who are weak. You who weaken the nations. When I read that this, this afternoon. You who have weakened the nations. Who's weakening America? Stop blaming a certain political party, whatever your affiliation is. You might be here tonight and you line up with a certain party. So be it. But guess what? It's not a party that's, that's ruining this country. We have to see who's at work. We're not fighting flesh and blood, but we think it's a flesh and blood battle. And so we fight with each other. And we're falling right into the strategies of Satan. He wants wants Republicans and, and Democrats to fight against each other, to war against each other because he knows a house divided will not stand. He knows the word of God. He was with the word of God in heaven. He wants Christians who hold various political positions and views and affiliations to be at war with one another and to attack each other. You're falling into the strategies of Satan. Yes. Let's not be deceived. Let's not give him place. Let's not fall into his strategy. Social media. What a great place to be able to to connect with with old relationships. to, To rekindle those relationships. So we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those old friends. Those old relationships. But we use it as believers to attack. And dispute garbage and to repost stuff that's not even true. Falling into the hands of the evil one, the strategies of Satan. How immature, how childish. We need to repent, don't we, church? These are the strategies of Satan, and I'm sharing that, and I'm passionate about that because I see this happening. You who weaken the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation of the father's sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Lucifer makes five I will statements. The five I will statements illustrate Lucifer's pride in rebelling against God. You see, pride opens the door for temptation and Satan uses pride as a part of his strategy to influence us to live independent of God's will. That's his purpose. Satan's purpose is to make you independent of God's will. A prideful heart accomplishes this goal. Satan wants to attack your will with pride to make you independent of God's will. He wants to attack uh, my my will with pride, to make me independent of God's will. The biblical view of Satan describes him as an angel of light in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. The angel of light image indicates Satan's clever ability to, to manifest himself under the appearance of good. And that's why the third person of the Godhead is so important, the Holy Spirit. He is the discerner and how we need the Holy Spirit in discerning what is real and what is an imitation, what is true and what is not true. It's so critically, critically important. And that's why we need to be in the word of God, the word of truth that's infallible. It's inspired by God. It's infallible. It's without error. It doesn't fail. It can't fail. It's impossible for God's infallible word to fail. It's perfect. It has no failure in it. And that's why we need to be in it. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, our paracletos, the one who walks alongside of us, he helps us to discern what is what is real and what's an imitation. And this is so critically important. And as the coming of Christ draws closer, how important all this stuff is. We, we think things are bad right now, church. This is just a warm-up act. It really is. The serpent in the garden was described as, as crafty and, and cunning, right? Crafty, cunning in, in Genesis 3.1. Satan does not appear as a fool. What do we do when someone appears to us as a fool? We, we brush him off. We push him aside. We, we don't take that person serious, do we? They have no credence. They have no credibility. That's foolish. Foolish behavior. Foolish words. Satan doesn't work that way. He doesn't work that way. When the Antichrist comes, he doesn't work that way. He's going to look so good and so charismatic, so crafty, people are going to be drawn to his deception. But not the people of God. Amen? Well, I believe we're going to get raptured. That's a whole other teaching. We won't get into that one tonight. Lots of different views. I like to teach them all. I like to focus on what Jesus said more than one time in Matthew chapter 24. Be ready. Be ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? Satan is a charming counterfeit church. You see, cartoons and Hollywood, they painted this picture of Satan. That's the image we have. This little red guy with horns and a pitchfork and this tail. But it's important that we have a biblical understanding of who Satan is. He is a charming counterfeit, he speaks with eloquence, his his appearance is stunning. A second image we have of Satan is that of a roaring lion who goes about seeking whom he will devour. In First Peter 5.8, I, I talked about this last week. Notice that the same figure that is used for Christ, the lion is used by Satan. The model or example of the Antichrist. The anti-lion devours, the lion of Judah redeems. With both pictures or allusions to the lion, we find a symbol of strength. Though with Satan, his strength is an evil strength. It's a demonic strength. His strength is no match for Christ. (laughs) No match for Christ. Christ is greater. Amen, church? But it is a strength that is certainly superior to our own strength. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need the comforter. That's why we need the dunamis of God. Because if we think we can take the enemy on in our own natural ability, we're in for it. Our natural strength, our natural ability is no match to the enemy. But thanks be to God... He has given us the Holy Spirit, our helper, our comforter, our empower. He has endued us with power from on high. There's a dunamis that comes upon the people of God. In God's power, the power of the Spirit supersedes the power of the evil one. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world, the ruler of this world system. Do you believe that, church? Church? We gotta live like that. We gotta gotta pray like that. We gotta read the scriptures like that. We gotta exercise our faith like we believe it. Amen. There are two frequent ways that Satan deceives us. On the one hand, he will seek to have us underestimate his strength. And on the other hand, there are times that he seeks to have us overestimate his strength. In either event, he deceives us and can trip us up. You know, Peter underestimated Satan. When Jesus warned Peter about his impending betrayal, Peter pro- protested saying in Luke twenty-two thirty-three, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Peter was overconfident. He underestimated the strength of the adversary. Moments before Jesus had warned him about the strength of Satan, uh, Peter rejected the warning. And Jesus said it in Luke 22:31, "Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as we." Peter's protests, notwithstanding, he became as putty in the hands of Satan. It was as easy for Satan to seduce Peter as it is to sift wheat. And even so, Satan's power over Peter and over us is limited. He may be stronger than we are, but we have a a champion who can and does defeat him. Amen? There's a dunamis from heaven. We can walk in. And greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. The scripture declares, 1 John 4, 4 greater is he. James has these words in James 4, 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Write that verse, James 4, 7. Next week, we're going to talk more about that verse. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is so crucial. We resist the lying, the roaring lion, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Satan sifted Peter. I'm going to wrap up here. Satan sifted Peter, but his victory was temporary. With the warning Jesus gave, came also the consolation. Luke 22:32 says, "But I have prayed for you, Peter. Isn't that beautiful? That your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren." Strengthen your brethren. To underestimate Satan is to suffer from the pride that goes before destruction church. To overestimate him is to grant him more honor and respect than he deserves. Satan is a created creature. He's finite and not limited. He is subordinate to God. He has no divine attributes. His knowledge may exceed ours, but he is not all-knowing. Only God is all-knowing. His strength may be greater than ours in the natural, but he is not all-powerful. He may have a wider sphere of influence than we have, but he is not present everywhere. Only God is. Your defense, and we're going to talk more about this next week, is the indwelling Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is our defense. James 4, 7, and the Holy Spirit as our defense. We're going to dive into this next week.